morning CBF. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Crushed, overwhelmed, devastated, torn, no vision, no hope, suffering all around in all shapes and forms. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the early Christians in Pontus, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia. I'm horrible with names. But these are the provinces in Asia Minor, also known as modern-day Turkey. Now, in AD 54, there was a great fire. And in that fire, the whole place burned to the ground. It, it raged on for days. And it started somewhere in the slums and then it, it spread. And the people thought, the Romans thought, Nero set fire to the city because he wanted to rebuild it. It was common knowledge that he hated the way it looked and he liked to build stuff. So he thought, let me burn it down and, and then you know rebuild it. But no one knows who started the fire. But Nero had to shift blame, right? And easiest option, let's get rid of the Christians. So he blamed it on the followers of Christ. And Nero had hundreds of them arrested, tortured, and many of them had to flee, right? Many of them fled to uh, places in Asia Minor. And uh, from there, persecution did not stop. The persecution continued. And uh, Peter's letter is to the folks at Asia Minor. All the believers there who are undergoing some kind of suffering. You know, they've been uh, chased out of their homes. They're in a new place. And even there, there's persecution and there's suffering. And um, this letter... The purpose of this letter is a message of hope, a message of encouragement to suffering Christians, a message of faith in the midst of suffering, and especially how to lead a victorious life in a seemingly difficult world. Few weeks back, we studied through the trials and sufferings which are inevitable from James. God delivered us out of all those trials. He will deliver us. That's what we learned. Right? So let me ask again. Crushed, overwhelmed, devastated, torn, no hope, no vision, suffering all around. Is this how we are feeling today? Is this how some of us are feeling today? Do you know who, uh, some folks who are in that situation, would you like to help them? Would you like to encourage them? Right? So let's look at 1 Peter 4. And in 1 Peter 4, we will see that there is some hope for us. There is uh, instructions for us rather, I would say. In 1 Peter 4, verse uh, 1 to 6, this more talks about Christ who is victorious over suffering and death. And how we too can be victorious over the grip of sin in our life over suffering, over persecution, and even how we can be victorious until death. My passage this morning is from verse 7 to verse 11. 7 to 11. First Peter 4, 7 to 11. So let me just read that for you before we get into the passage. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will, will, will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another, 
without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of a manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now we see this passage which is one thing which is common which I want each of us to just take note before we go forward. It's a very simple common word. I, I, I hope you have found it in verse 8, 9, 10. Yes, you're right. One another. For one another. To one another. You see that in verse 8, 9 and 10. And that is the crux of the passage. And which is why God has laid this message on my heart today after much prayer. And the title of this uh, this message for, for, for each one of us, including me, is Serving Christ, Considering Christ's Return. Considering Christ's Return. So let's start with the first verse without making taking too much time. The first verse is verse 7 of this passage and it says, But the end of all things is at hand. But the end of all things is at hand. Now, this is not a chronological end. The word end of all things is more an end of an era, a close of a chapter, or maybe new things to come, a beginning of new things to come. And in this passage, it is clearly talking about the return of Christ. And we see, a few weeks back, we studied about the resurrection and our soon and coming Saviour. Didn't we learn that a couple of weeks back? And there we learned that the resurrected Christ will soon return at any moment. We read that from First Thessalonians. We, we can see that even in First Thessalonians 4 verse 16, which I can just read a few excerpts from. The Lord himself will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is our hope. We shall always be with the Lord. And we know that the next inevitable thing for each one of us is either Christ's return or that we will be joined with him post our death, our physical death. So the resurrected Christ will remove death. The resurrected Christ will reign supreme. This is what we learned a couple of weeks back. So in light of that, in light of that first section which says, you know, but the end of all things is at hand. Or the Christ, Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ will return soon. Keeping that in mind, let's look at the next part of that verse 7. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Let's look at just that first two words. Be serious and watchful. Be serious and watchful. Now, what it's calling us to do is not to have a knee-jerk reaction, right? Not to jump into action when something happens. Not to do something after it's done and after uh, things have passed. But it wants us, uh, the, the, um, the message here is for, for us to be vigilant, to be ready, to be uh, serious about things. And uh, when, when, I, when I think about this word serious and watchful, what I first got into mind is maybe... Uh, you know, in the time it was written, written especially, a watchman, right? I'm not talking about your Gurkha, but in, in, in you, maybe you can even apply it there. But uh, 
A watchman was one who stood on the city wall. He would look out far into the distance, be vigilant, awake the whole night, you know, looking out and seeing if there's any attack coming. He was prepared. And then he would then call out to the town and then they would be, they would prepare themselves for battle or whatever the case might be. That is what the word is here, to be watchful, to be ready, to be very serious about it. Now, I, I, I like observing things and uh, I, I, I've read so many uh, reports how a smuggler was caught. Um, recently, there was a case where currency notes were put into uh, peanut shells, currency notes were put into meat packing. There's no way they, they found that in a scanner. You know how they found out? There's this, there's, there's this guy who stands at the back called the CISF inspector, right? He's the central in industrial security force who you will see in all the airports. He's not the guy who sits at the counter. He's not the guy who's looking at the monitor. There's one guy at the, in front just overlooking everything. He's just keeping an eye. He's watchful. He's very serious. He's very alert. And what he looks for is suspicious behavior. He's earnest in what he does. And when he sees someone acting different, he calls them out. And he talks to them. He checks. And then that's how all these cases get cracked. That's how they get stuck. Right? So this is the kind of um, mentality or state of mind which the Lord wants us to be in. To be serious and watchful in our prayers. Sober-minded. Some of your versions will say alert, sober-minded, earnest, disciplined, serious, watchful. Now what does it want us to do in all these things? Not to look out for things, but to be serious and watchful in your prayers. That is critical. In your prayers. Now, prayer is a very, very important part of a Christian life. Very, very important part of our Christian life. Now, we take it very lightly. <coughs> we have taken it lightly. Over the years, it has become more and more extracurricular activity. It is something which we, if we have the time, we will do. You know, we, 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 we don't have the time for it, right? So, I want to just look at quickly uh, Acts and see what the early church did. Okay? How important was prayer to them? Because that's a good indicator to understand what are the practices of prayer in a corporate setting, in a church setting. Acts 1.14 And now this is just when Jesus uh, said, I'm going, I will send you a helper and he ascends. Right? And the disciples are are still confused. They don't know what to do and they, they get together. Right? Acts 1.14 All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 1.14 The NIV says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer. Acts 2.24 They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. The fourth principle there was and in prayers. For the early church, prayer was very, very important. It helped the fellowship of believers. It helped communication with God. It helped the churches grow. And you see, apostles' doctrine, you know, teaching of the word. Fellowship, important. Breaking of bread, very important, right? We meet every Sunday. 
for these three things. But when it comes to prayer, somehow this fourth principle per se, in, as you see in this verse, has taken a very, very back seat. Or you may say, yes, prayer is important. I can pray in my own home. I can do it myself. Yes, uh, prayer is important. Individual prayer is important. But let me just help uh, each of us understand why corporate prayer is also important. Okay, In, verse, in, in Acts 6 uh, verse 4, you know, the uh, Hellenistic Jews, uh, sorry, the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the uh, distribution of food, right, and food being given to them. So, you know, the the, uh, the apostles and the disciples at that time said, you know what, look, uh, we don't want to get involved in all this. Let's do something about, um, some, some of you guys can take on this additional work and we'll concentrate on something else. What is that something else they wanted to concentrate on? Yeah, you will. You you are right to assume that it is to preach, right? Let's look at that. Acts six verse four. But we we will give ourselves continually to prayer, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Corporate prayer, you know, coming together. They invested a lot of time praying together. Why am, I, why, am I, why am I saying this, right? Because yes, individual prayer is needed. And when you are doing individual prayer, you are in, we are inward focused. When I, I pray for myself, I pray for my family, I pray for things which concern very uh, closed personal issues. Am I really playing, praying for a country like Sudan or Syria? I don't think so. Am I going to pray for a, a ministry which is, uh, which is doing good work, but is, am I driven to really pray for for a ministry which is which is working hard in God's kingdom? Am I am I going to pray for some um, evangelist in Durg or uh, you know in a remote place uh, in North India? I may not. Right? We are very in, inward focused in our needs in our personal prayer. But when you come to corporate prayer, it is more outward focused. It is more focused on things around us. It changes our motives. Our motives and purposes are more towards us. But now, our motives and purposes when we come together as a church and pray are to desire God's purposes. What is the purpose for His people, His church? Um, what are the larger things at play here? How can we uh, pray for something which will which will really cause um, us to to move the needle per se? Right? Will will really um, help in our in making things better for the world around, right? So this is this is kind of changing the way we we pray, right? We we come together and we are encouraging one another. We are praying with one another. Um, there is there is repentance, right? Uh, there are there are times we can come together and repent with one another, confess our sins with one another. Uh, there is edification. There is joy. There's feeling of love amongst the the believers, and this we can see in Thessalonians five eleven. It brings us together. The body of Christ is working together. We are submitting to the will of God. All this we also see in John 17. God's people will keep praying together for eternity. This is the reality. If you read Revelation 19, 1-8, you will see multitudes praying together. This is going to be our future. You know, it's nothing, it's not, it's not something which we will not be doing in eternity in the future right i think it's 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 only good for us to start early here and come together as a church right and cbf 
uh, as a church will be united in prayer. We will get closer together in prayer because you know churches of the world. Just imagine the churches of the world if they are praying together and all the churches together continuously praying for for things of the world, for peace in the world, for various things where for the for the, for the word of God to spread. Don't you think God will listen? Don't you think we can really cause uh, a, a revolution uh, or a, or a, or a um, I'm not getting the word there, but but you know to en ensure that that we really uh, move the heart of God, come together and pray for the right things which are not inward focused, but more focused on things of the church, things of the larger things at play in the world. You know, in our church right now, if you look down. I, you know, I'm recording this on an early morning on a Monday. But I'm sure if you look down and look at how many attendees are there, data is always consistent. You will see 95 to 98 people who are attending. 95 to 98. You know, these are just logins. And each login you will see multiple people. Or one, one home may have more, another home may have less. So we're looking at literally... We've done the math. It's around 200 people. 200 people who are logged in. Our prayer team has 197 people. You can look it up on your phone after this. Not now. The prayer team has 197 people. But on a fortnightly church prayer meeting where we pray for matters like a country or a ministry who is struggling or um, evangelists who are who are going through a very difficult time. You know how many logins we have? We have 25 to 30 logins. And each login is unique because we want each person in every house to be in different rooms on a device so that we can do breakout groups. Four of us sit together also and pray together. It's a, it's a wonderful time of prayer. Last week, George Chan also mentioned that and urged us to, to come together for corporate prayer. I really urge the church, you know, to consider giving that time and prioritizing that time to come together to pray. Not just, just for the church prayer, right? Calling each other and praying. In your cell groups, devote time for prayer, considering specific outward matters. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. <coughs> Sorry, being watchful and thankful. Hence my first point, watchful and earnest prayers for one another. My second point is verse 8, unconditional love for one another. Here we see that it says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. In John 13, 34, it says, a new command, Jesus says, is a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, and you also are to love you know, the world gives a very muddled description for prayer. Uh, uh, sorry, for, for love, right? I love chocolate. I love dark chocolate. I love chocolate with nuts. Um, I love that movie. I love this. I love that, right? The whole definition of love is so muddled. But God, uh, in the Bible, God's definition of love is, is very beautiful. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I just want to stretch that first part. For God so loved the world, 
He so greatly loved the world. That was his definition for love, right? A sacrificial love, a fervent love, an agape love, a, a love which is of the highest form, sacrificial, which is a, a selfless love, which is surprising, it surprises us. And Jesus was the epitome or the height of God's unconditional love. This is the love which, which God expects us to have for one another. Love each other as I have loved you. Love one another with a fervent love. The second part says, For love will cover a multitude of sins. Love will cover a multitude of sins. The, now the context here is not, let's not get into, you know, I'm, I'm not saying get into doctrine, look at Romans, look at Hebrews and see how, you know, love will cover us and our, his righteousness covers us. Yes, that is true. Yes, absolutely that is true. Yes, our guilt and penalty has been paid for, for our sins has been put away. Uh, yes, um, uh, we cannot uh, ignore the sin. We cannot uh, not deal with it. Right? Yes, uh, um, you know, someone who's mentoring you may correct you, may uh, may, dis may may discipline you, may uh, ask you to make some changes in your in your life. The elders may uh, talk to the person and uh, uh, work on the root cause, on the on the heart issue. Right? Uh, but the context here is true brotherly love. In spite of the sin, in spite of uh, the multitude of sin. As a true brother in Christ, true love will not condemn the person. True love will not condemn the person. We just looked at John 3.16, right? It's only right we also looked at John 3.17. John 3.17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. True love will not harp on our imperfections, our sins, will not judge our minor faults, will not judge the sins of our past. Oh, you know, that day, eons back, you did this. That is not what brotherly love is. It is not what it is, right? Love will cover a multitude of sins. This means that true love will understand there's only one man, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was tempted in all ways, yet without sin and weaknesses. None of us can ever say that we are without sin or weaknesses. So when we say this, I want you to understand that we should show unconditional love to one another. We may think, oh, that guy, you know, let's write him off, right? But God calls us to show unconditional love, to show grace as we have shown, as we have been shown grace, to show forgiveness as we have been forgiven and not remember the sins anymore. Just like our Lord Jesus does not remember our sins. Right? So that was verse 8. Unconditional love for one another. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another. This is an easy one because I didn't even have to twist the, uh, to, you know, to change the change the, the verse. The verse itself says it. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. In Romans 12.13 it says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality. Physical, emotional needs. You know, the saints around us, the folks from our church, those who we may be in touch with, all believers may be going through some kind of turmoil or problem or whatever it is, right? But can we reach out to them? Can we 
minister to them? Can we show hospitality to them? Can we open up our homes to them? Can we go and visit them? Can we uh, call them for a meal? Right? So, can we do this and build bridges? Can we minister to them by showing hospitality, by serving them, by helping them? And what is our motivation? The last part says without grumbling. How can we do that? Right? In Ephesians 6 7 it says, serve wholeheartedly as you were serving, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. You know, it's it's so beautiful that how, how Jesus uh, places this in Matthew 10 40. He says, He who receives you receives me. Right? He he is talking about uh, receiving. A child of Christ. When you receive a child of Christ, it's like receiving Jesus himself. In verse 41, it says, He who receives a prophet as a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Now, you know, in those days, a prophet's reward was was, was very handsome, was a handsome reward. He who receives a righteous man as a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And in verse 42, it says, And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple or because he is a disciple assuredly I say to you he will by no means lose his, re <coughs> lose his reward it means when you minister to somebody who is in Christ even by giving him a cup of water you will surely be rewarded you will surely be rewarded now this doesn't mean that you know we we we, uh, we we should be cautious that we should not um, continue to minister to the same folks over and over again, right? We may have our inner circle. We may have our close friends in the church. Yes, it's good to have close relationships, but have we reached out to those who we feel are the fringes, who uh, may be feeling left out, who may not who may not have. Uh, had a chance to fellowship with others in in the especially in this season. Are we reaching out to them? In Matthew twenty forty, it says, "Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, one of the least of these brothers or sisters, you did it for me." You know, in the other versions, it says, "No matter how unimportant they seemed." You know, for us, we may think, "Oh." I may not be able to connect with them. Somebody else is connected with them. You know, um, I, I, I'm already uh, working with these people. I think somebody will take care of them. Somebody will meet with them. That somebody should be us. We should not think and hope that somebody else will cater to somebody else. Right? I want to encourage us as a church to remember that every one of us is important in this church. Every one of us needs to... to to feel hospitable in this church and if there's anyone out there who is not feeling so you know please reach out you know uh, we i'm sure we are a church who wants to connect i'm sure it's a we are we are a church who wants to fellowship with each and every one within the church without considering our social background or, or what we will we be able to connect we will see that later right our unity is in Christ and because of because the fact that we have Christ who is common trust me you will connect with everyone it just takes a little effort right so 
one of the least of these brothers or sisters in mine, you did it for me. Let's keep that in mind, that when we minister to any one of them, it is like ministering to Christ himself. Okay, let's move on to the next verse. Verse 10, minister and serve. And in this we will see that each one of us has a gift to minister to one another as stewards of a manifold grace of God. We have been given gifts and these gifts we have to use effectively. right? In First, in, in first Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, there is a, a list of, of gifts there. Prophesying, serving, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. We have to be good stewards of it. We cannot just, you know, have that gift and think, you know, it's it's a pandemic. I, I'll use it later. You know, it, it's 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 not right now, right? I, I'm I'm being safe. I, I I don't want to I don't want to talk to anyone. I'll, I'll I'll do it later, right? But you know, the return of Christ is any moment, right? Didn't we say that we saw it? It is near. It is at hand. So when we know this, we need to be clear and sure that when we come before Christ, He will question us, right? In Second Cor Second Corinthians five ten, we we studied this few weeks back. For me, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one receive the things done in the body, according to what He has done, whether good or bad. We will receive according to what we have done. Matthew 16, 27 says, Jesus will reward each person according to what he has done. This is for believers in Christ. You know, in the Bhima seat of judgment, we will be questioned on our motives, on using our gifts. What have we done with the gifts which have been given to us? And that's, that's evident in the second part of verse 10. Good stewards of the manifold grace. We are stewards of that gift. We have to use it effectively as a channel of blessing, uh, channel of blessing to somebody else. We cannot just hold it, put it in a in a cupboard, and say somebody else will use their gift. In that, you know, he needs encouragement. Somebody else will call him. He needs to be shown mercy. I think X Y Z is talking to him. I, I think I'll take I'll I'll take a back seat this time, right? I don't think there's anything wrong in multiple people ministering to a person. I don't think there's anything wrong in, 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 in us exercising our, our, our spiritual gifts the best way we can. Maybe this is the best season for you to nurture and build on your spiritual gifts. Because when the time is right, you we will be questioned for what we have done. Let's move on to verse 11. Teach God's word to one another. Verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers the word of God to one another, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. You know, Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. We should speak from as the oracles of God. We should understand what is the situation. We should, we should understand, is this message really apt for our church? And this is my burden as well when I, before I came to you this morning. Is, am I speaking the right thing at the right moment? Is this what the church really needs to hear? We need to really be prayerful about it. You know, it's not, a, you know, it's not just about those who preach or teach. You may be teaching in a small cell. You may be teaching one-on-one -on -one with somebody. You may be sharing with somebody 
or one-on-one and they need encouragement. You know, do it from the word of God. Don't do it from your wisdom because you will mess up. You need to be equipped with the word of God and speak as the oracles of God. Speak as if God is speaking. You're just a channel using the word of God in the right moment at the right time, in the right application. So, you build your own knowledge so you can truly help others. And the second part is also important. Let him do it as an ability which God supplies. You know, we have to be humble with the gifts which we have been given. We have to be humble with every gift which we have been given, including uh, if, if, we, if we feel that we are blessed in the area of teaching. We have to understand that that wisdom has been given by God. The ability has been given by God. And God supplies all these gifts to us graciously. And it is He who nurtures it. It is He who allows it to grow. We should never be puffed up because we have that gift. You know, whatever the gift is, we should never be puffed up. Because that Christian service, we will be rewarded for it in the right time. If we are looking for a reward now, if we are looking for a pat on the back now for our service, if we are puffed up by it now, we are not going to get our reward. We will be wait on the Lord. Use your reward, use your gift effectively, and in the right time, God will reward you. So the fifth point is teach God's word to one another. So just a quick recap: we are at thirty-two minutes, and um, the five points which I got out of this, and God spoke to me as well, where I myself have a lot to work on here is to be watchful and honest in prayers for one another. Unconditional love for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Minister and serve one another using your gifts effectively. Teach God's word to one another. Don't teach from your wisdom. Teach from God's word. You know, keeping these, you know, if we can just have these five five points here, you know, just keep these in mind and just think about this, right? What are we doing on this for? Why are we doing this? Yes, yes, Christ is coming very, very soon. right? Yes, Christ is coming very, very soon. But what is our chief end? Even through all these struggles and turmoils and tensions and problems, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. right? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In all things, now it comes to our conclusion, second part of that verse 11 that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We are doing this to glorify God, not to glorify ourselves to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen I'd like to just change that creed a bit man's chief end is to serve and glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know let us let us not have the Martha syndrome. You know what's the Martha syndrome? Martha and Mary, Martha called Jesus home and instead of spending time with him, she went into the kitchen to you know cook something up. And she's very annoyed that you know Mary is not coming with her and helping her. And we see her busy in the busyness of things, not engaging with Christ, not being in service to him, being at his feet. Maybe that is where she should have been, not in the busyness of life, not in the busyness of service, but to truly understand what Christ is all about and what Christ wants us to do in that moment and season. 
and this is Christ's answer in Luke 10 41 he says and Jesus answered and said Martha Martha you are worried and troubled about many things you know how how apt he you know how beautifully he says that you are worried and troubled about many things don't be worried relax you know but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part I want each one of us to choose these good parts you know be attentive and choose these good parts you know may God give us the wisdom ability and zeal to serve God in these ways especially considering Christ's return. May God be with each one of us and give us this evidence.